0: From the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast, this is Ag Day.
1: The battle against saltwater in the south.
2: I think there will be quite a few, couple hundred acres that we won't even uh, continue to fish this year.
1: What it means is we enter crawfish season in Louisiana, making the most of those marginal acres.
3: We want people to realize that all soils aren't created equal.
1: How a new program is helping farmers flip their soil. As harvest races to the finish, farmers continue to assess the damage following the growing season filled with heat and drought.
0: That heat we got in August, I believe it hurt our beans somewhat in yield.
1: The latest from Iowa fields right now on Ag Day.
4: Ag Day, presented by Pioneer. What's next happens when the testing grounds meet the proving grounds? Pioneer – what's next happens here.
1: Good morning, I'm Michelle Brock coming to you from the Farm Journal Studios here in Kansas City. Clinton has the day off. Harvest has leaped past the halfway point when it comes to corn and well beyond that for soybeans. USDA reporting 59% of the corn crop has been harvested. That's up 14% from last week and 5% ahead of the five-year average. Now, when it comes to soybeans, 76% are now in the bin. That's also up 14% from last week and way ahead of average.
3: Producers have been going for soybeans before the corn in many cases, quite typical when you have these open autumn conditions.
4: The I-80 Harvest Tour on Ag Day is brought to you by Case IH. The Farmall has been the iconic partner on the farm for generations. Come celebrate a century of Farmall, the one for all at farmall100.com. And by AGI. At AGI, we spend a lot of time focused on our product details, making sure you can store your grain how you need to and move it when you need to. Learn more at aggrowth.com.
1: And in Iowa, farmers are making great progress as well with 62% of the corn out of the field. That's 15 points ahead of normal. Soybeans are at 83% combined. That's 16 points ahead. Now, harvest results have been mixed with spotty rains as we found this week on our IED Harvest Tour. From field to field and even within fields, this year's harvest results are variable in Iowa, in part due to drought, which has covered over 90 percent of the state since late May. Larry Jacobson's farm in central Iowa only ran six to eight inches below normal for moisture, but he says the early flash drought shaved
0: yield potential. I think it probably did some. Uh, we went from a wet spring to a dry spell. But he also points to the late season heat stress as a yield robber. That heat we got in August I believe it uh, hurt our beans somewhat in yield and I'm sure it's cut back on our corn yield some as hot as it was for heat index and temperature wise for about six days there it, it was it was miserable. So he says corn yields are running below
1: 2022.
0: Corn wise we're in that probably 220 to 230.
1: The heat also pushed the crop during filling, and so test weights on corn are lighter.
0: We we're in that 56, 57. Last year's test weight was everything we hauled out last year was over 60 pounds.
1: But surprisingly, that early push to maturity hasn't cannibalized the plants.
0: Our stock integrity is great. We haven't seen any airdrops. We don't have any any corn that is not standing. I mean, it's all standing very well for us
1: the soybean harvest is done at jacobson's farm and he says that crop also ran below their farm averages
0: beans were in that oh 60 to 65 bushel range Over the last couple years we've been up about five five to seven bushel better
1: usda has iowa corn yields pegged at 199 bushels per acre just a bushel under 2022 with soybeans only a half bushel lower at 58 Jacobson thinks that's about right, even with the severe drought in eastern Iowa. There's going to be areas
0: that have been hit hard. I mean, there's still drought. We've got a, what they consider our area a light drought, and there's still areas that are extreme drought. So it just depends
1: on where you're at and how the weather affected you. Jacobson says with less bushels at his farm and lower prices versus a year ago, he's seeing declining margins.
0: I mean, corn prices have dropped. We're, we're back down in that $5 Range are just a little under, whereas in the last last year we were between 6 and 7.
1: So profitability is going to be lower. And looking ahead to next year, he says that trend may continue depending on where input prices fall out. And key growing areas are about to get hit by what could be the first major winter storm of the season. Meteorologist Matt Inkelbrecht is tracking it.
2: Yeah, there's uh, kind of uh, two areas that we're going to point to. Where you see the, uh, the, the reds, the yellows, the oranges, that's all rain uh, in the forecast. And if you know if I'm going to single out rain, uh, that the other kind of precipitation is going to be out there as well. So rain uh, in and across Texas, Oklahoma, back up into the Midwest. This is the next seven days. Back here towards the top left corner of your screen into the Dakotas and Montana. All of that is snow looking like a decent amount of snowfall uh, coming in and across and not only the Dakotas, but Montana and obviously the higher terrain as well before it transitions over into some rain back up here to the north. This is going to be all rain into Iowa and Wisconsin upwards of about one to two inches of rainfall. And with the kind of heat that we've been seeing, uh, there's also a good chance that we'll have some thunderstorms in there as well.
4: Yields in the Fields on Ag Day is brought to you by Micro Essentials, the super granule that packs balanced nutrition into a single granule for uniform nutrient distribution, increased nutrient uptake, and season long sulfur availability. Beating commodity fertilizers every time. Supercharge your yields with the Mighty Micro from Mosaic.
2: And checking those yields in the fields. Andy sending this one in from Nebraska, getting the job done when it comes to. Corn. Andy says they got started on corn harvest last week. He says it was still plenty wet, but every day is a day closer to the first snow. So they were rolling. He says he's getting good yields on the uh, corn. Uh, For dairy land, he adds it's less than 50 bushels uh, an acre. I'll have more on your forecast in just a little bit.
1: Ag groups are supporting a plan by USDA to increase global food assistance and expand export market access for commodities. USDA announcing $2.3 billion in aid that will come from the Commodity Credit Corporation. $1.3 billion will go to Regional Agricultural Promotion Program. It will be used to diversify export markets and provide support to specialty crop industries. And the remaining $1 billion will be earmarked to address global hunger through food aid programs.
5: We're looking to utilize these resources to continue to expand our efforts in terms of trade promotion in non-traditional markets. Uh, This will complement our existing trade promotion programs as we await Congress's action on both the budget and the Farm Bill.
1: USDA says the recent challenges in supply chains and ongoing conflicts have exasperated global food security. It says an estimated 205 million people require life-saving food assistance and 768 million people face Chronic hunger. But the movement of grains and other commodities could be slowed coming through Canada as a strike in the country's St. Lawrence Seaway enters another day. Reuters reporting the strike has so far impacted about 115 vessels that were supposed to be traveling through the seaway. An estimated 360 union workers walking off the job on Sunday over a wage dispute. They failed to negotiate a new labor contract with the St. Lawrence Seaway Management Corporation, which along with the U.S. body operates the waterway linking the Great Lakes and the Atlantic Ocean. Mike Steenhook of the U.S. Soy Transportation Coalition telling us that the striking workers are just at the 13 Canadian locks, not the two U.S. base locks. But he says since all the locks operate as a single system, any closure of one or more will suspend operations of the entire system. The Canadian Chamber of Commerce says the strike has impacted $25 million in daily economic activity. A major sell-off in cattle markets to start the week, and the market tried to consolidate on Tuesday. I'll talk with Arlen Suderman of Stonex about that coming up in markets, plus we'll talk grains. And later, battling saltwater intrusion, what it means for Louisiana's crawfish, as the season kicks off in the country, a mixed grain and livestock futures trade on Tuesday. Arlen Suterman with StoneX joining us. And Arlen, I want to talk about the cattle market. A big down day on Monday. Tried to consolidate Tuesday, but you know, are the tops in? And is there more downside risk?
5: Yeah, as we look at it, we're really got a battle here between the fundamentals and money flow in this cattle market. And it was triggered by that cattle on feed report that came out on Friday, showing better than 100,000 more head of cattle that placed during the month than what was expected. Fundamentally, we're still tight, not near term, whereas we brought more cattle into the system. So over the next six months, there's more than expected. Beef production is still down 5%. What this says, and if you break down the data here, it shows that we're still liquidating the breeding herd. We're still shrinking the breeding herd, if you will. So we're gonna be even tighter down the road than what we are now. But near-term, it caused the funds to really liquidate positions. We saw a massive sell-off but I believe it was 135,000 contracts yesterday, but opening only went down by 4,000. So there's a lot of buyers in there. Was that the packers knowing what the situation really is and setting themselves up well for going forward? It went in if we get a bounce in the board to be able to pay for the cash. Basically, the expectation is that cash will hold in here pretty well this week.
1: Yeah, well, we did do some technical damage. Let's hope we can move past it. What about the Swabian market? A little bounce on Tuesday. You know, how much of that was just putting in some South American weather premium?
5: Yeah, exactly right. And it's dry in Brazil. It hasn't rained for the last week in Mato Grosso. I should say in center-west Brazil, it's dry. Forecast has one to two inches over the next week to ten days. Those forecasts have tended to under-verify. Will they come if they do? Our people in Brazil say they'll be fine. If they don't, that's when the problems are going to start adding up.
1: And Cordon, we went the opposite direction. Still some macroeconomic concerns hanging in those markets.
5: Yeah, like kind of like crude oil trading negative macroeconomic ideas that uh, recession is going to hit the world and we're going to see decreased demand.
1: And so we're likely to see more technical selling, you think, in those markets or not?
5: Yeah, assuming headline risk there, headline risk with the Middle East war is constantly going to be with us now, let alone some of the other
4: factors we have.
1: Thanks for joining us. That's Arlen Suderman with StoneX, and that's markets Now. We'll have more update coming up.
4: Contact Arlen Suderman by email at arlen.suderman at stonex.com. Ag Day is brought to you by Advanced Acre Rx from Winfield United, the comprehensive, customized program that's paying off at operations across America. Visit winfieldunited.com slash
2: AARX. We're looking for that uh, second significant pocket of cold air to come in and across the United States, and we found it. Here's a look October 29th through November 2nd. So we close out October, open up November and uh, cold air returning to the United States. That is off of uh, a couple of days where temperatures were surging record highs in and across the United States. So everything, everything flipping uh, back over this kind of air mass is going to settle now that uh, big swing in our temperatures. I do anticipate it to warm back up the second half of November, uh, but not nearly as extreme as the way that we ended or came close to ending October. Precipitation outlook, you got that cold dry air mass coming into play and that results in a below or drier than normal conditions uh, into the Dakotas uh, as well as into Iowa, uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Illinois, and Indiana uh, with some wet weather on the way back out here towards the west. So as we've talked about, this all goes in patterns between a ridge of high pressure and a trough of low pressure. That's that next trough starting to develop back off to the west. So you think the middle part of November, November about seventh, eighth or ninth, start looking for that second piece of energy to come through, increasing the rain chances through the United States. Now, between now and then, uh, the Jet stream uh, kind of giving you an idea exactly where we stand with the ridge of high pressure uh, back into the southeast, resulting in those warm temperatures. That is going to stay strong, so any energy that forms uh, that would bring us showers or even thunderstorms is going to ride up and over uh, that ridge. So in between uh, this trough, this circle back up here to the northwest, and this circle down here to the southeast, which is the ridge, that is going to be the railroad tracks for showers, some rain, and snow right along that line. So that's a jet stream on Friday Uh, by Saturday and Sunday. That ridge sticks around, but that second pocket of cool cold air is gonna start to pool back up to the north and swing down next week. Orange, Massachusetts, mostly cloudy, high around 69 degrees, low of 48 degrees. Orange, Virginia, mostly sunny, high around 77, low of 44. Appleton, Wisconsin, cloudy. Hi, I'm 64.
4: Ag Day is brought to you by Neogen. Ingenity Beef by Neogen is a simple DNA test that allows you to make selection decisions in your replacement heifers that will build the future of your cow herd. Learn more at neogen.com. Flip your soil on Ag Day is brought to you by Nutrient Economics. Expert advice when you need it. Learn more at K.com.
1: Most farms are producing crops on 8 to 12 percent of acres that are considered marginal. A new program at South Dakota State University called Every Acre Counts is helping farmers identify those areas and flip their soil to something better to improve overall yields. The Confidential Voluntary Working Lands Program uses data from farmers' yield monitors to map out problem areas. Then precision technologies are used to analyze marginal acres and help farmers make informed management decisions on their farm. Those unproductive areas are generally soils that are too wet, too dry, or too salty.
0: So from the beginning, we kind of had a couple of different perspectives for how to help producers look at uh, some of the marginal land problem areas on their farm and then take some steps to address or sort of try to mitigate some of those problems.
3: We've analyzed uh, over 53,000 acres in in our software program that, that we use to do the analysis. Uh, of that 50, uh, 53, 54,000 acres, uh, roughly just over 2,600 have been put back in, in some other uh, program. It, it, it varies from CRP uh, with NRCS, uh, uh, Pheasants Forever has a conservation program, and, and we know of a few producers that have just gone on their own and done something. And, and that's really the essence of what we want people to do. We want people to realize that all soils aren't created equal and some are just more suited for, for practices other than crop production.
1: The Every Acre Counts program is free due to partnerships with conservation, soil health and farm groups plus government agencies. It has many public benefits as well due to the improved water and soil quality and wildlife habitat. Tomorrow, we'll look at the yield improvements farmers can see on their farm after participating in the Every Acre Counts program. A man accused of killing a sow and two piglets at an FFA barn has learned his fate. 27-year-old Leiden Blackburn was sentenced last week to three years in prison for the incident that happened at the Clarkston FFA barn in Clarkston, Washington. Blackburn was arrested in July and pleaded guilty to malicious killing of livestock, second-degree animal cruelty, first-degree burglary, and two counts of second-degree theft of livestock. Blackburn was accused of stealing a roommate's rifle, walking into the high school's barn, and killing pigs in the early morning hours of May 16th. The sheriff's office sharing this video on May 18th of a suspect carrying the two deceased piglets and the firearm. Blackburn was also ordered to pay more than $16,000 in restitution to the Clarkston FFA program. Court records show Blackburn told police he did not remember the incident because he was intoxicated. Saltwater intrusion isn't just an issue when it comes to drinking water and crops in Louisiana. See what it's doing to the state's very important crawfish industry in the country. Louisiana saltwater intrusion has been a problem for communities along the Mississippi River, but on the other side of the state, crawfish producers are also struggling with it.
6: While crawfish boils are months away, the crawfish season is kicking off as producers begin to flood their ponds and crawfish emerge from their summer burrows. But in southwest Louisiana, fields are dry because of a problem with surface water used to fill ponds.
4: Now that we're moving into the time of flood up for crawfish ponds, uh, the, some of these salinity levels are too high for these individuals to use as their irrigation water.
6: Fontenot has found salinity levels in some canals as high as 11,000 parts per million. He recommends producers should not use any water with salinity levels higher than 3,000 parts per million.
4: We're afraid at this point you will have um, death losses both to your stubble or your green rice and uh, to your young crawfish that will be emerging from the burrows.
6: Fontenot says the trouble spots are primarily limited to areas south of I 10 where canals are interconnected with the intercoastal waterway. Alan McLean is being affected by the saltwater and he believes it will impact his operation.
2: I think there will be quite a few, couple hundred acres that we won't even uh, continue to fish this year or. We might flood up just to see, but it won't be for a prolonged amount of time.
6: Fontenot recommends that producers using well water take measures to elevate oxygen levels to help young crawfish survive. You want to do whatever you can,
4: as such as aerate the water, break up those water droplets to pick up oxygen, and uh, get that uh, increased level in your ponds.
6: Producers are hoping that beneficial rainfall will help their fields and reduce the salinity issues they are now facing. With the LSU Ag Center, this is Craig Gotro reporting.
1: Thanks, Craig. Louisiana had 260,000 acres of crawfish ponds last year, and it remains to be seen how many acres will not be fished this year because of these saltwater issues. That's all the time we have for this morning. Thanks for watching. For all of us at Ag Day, I'm Michelle Rook. Have a great day.